Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we'll be looking at Minute 31, which begins with the away team continuing to inspect the space jockey and ends in the middle of a beautiful cross-dissolve. We have a guest here today. It's Caitlin Horseman, who's Associate Professor of Film and Media Arts at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and one of my colleagues. Welcome. Thanks. So we, we usually start out by asking if you remember the first time that you saw this movie and, uh, and if you remember you know, any impressions of that. Yeah, the first time I saw it was in sixth grade um, and in my friend's basement. And my impressions, I really liked it. Um, I thought it was like delightfully scary. And of course, Ripley made a huge impression on me. Um, and, you know, most film professors I know have cats named Jonesy, and I had a cat named Ripley. So, did you know when you were watching it? Can you remember? Um, did you know in advance that she was going to become the protagonist, or, or did you go in cold not knowing who was? I didn't know anything about it. Like, the person that I saw it with was kind of my bad friend. You know, I wasn't allowed to watch TV as a kid. Um, I, my dad took me to see Star Wars, but you know it wasn't it wasn't a real like part of the culture of my family. So um, it was a really big treat for me to see a horror movie, a science fiction movie, um, at all. And so yeah, it made a, a huge impression on me. And I think I don't know if I was conscious of the fact that she was going to be the protagonist, but she was certainly my favorite character. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we can start um, talking about this sort of. The first, the first shot in this minute, which is, once again, this camera lingers after they leave the space jockey and sort of the light begins to fade and eventually it moves kind of towards darkness. As they leave, that pesky, persistent, observational camera doesn't want to go with them and hangs back trying to look at that thing as long as it can until the light's extinguished. I just wonder whether you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that this part of the film is really an exploration of the kind of alien body, right? And the, the sort of opposition of the organic body to the, um, so the mothership of the alien to the mothership of, of the earthlings. Um, and we really see a kind of obsession with the, the physiology, if you will, of the ship. And, you know, this is the part where they sort of descend into the birth chamber um, and, that kind of sense in which we're setting up the kind of abject nature of that place and of the alien is really clear in that moment. Obviously, when you were watching that in sixth grade, you probably weren't thinking in those in no. those terms. <laughs> so when did you catch up with all the dirty stuff about Alien? Uh, in college, I think, you know, I had a, um, a class on kind of gender construction in popular culture. And um, Alien was one of the things that I wrote about. Um, and, you know, I think that the design is something that really drew me in. Um, and it is, I think, a kind of precedent-setting design and Geiger's sort of setup for um, what, the, what our greatest fears look like um, became a kind of trope. And so I was interested in that. And I think, yeah, not, but not until much later did I figure, you know, sort of think about it in that way. It was just gross and scary. Yeah. And I think when I was a kid, I thought it looked more like a bug, um, you know, the sort of insecty nature of it, or even, you know, that when we get to the face hugger, the kind of, 
you know, it looks like seafood and it is in a certain way. So, I mean, I think that those, that the kind of relationship to my real experience were, was more evident yeah. than, um, than, it, than later when I got all of the kind of undertones. Yeah, but yeah. it does blend all of those uncanny elements where there are things that we can recognize from our world, but everything's just turned, you know, a half turn to the right or the left so that it's, conf- it's both confusing and attractive and repellent, like all at once, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Kane finds this hole in the floor of the ship, of the, the space jockey room here. What do we make of this hole? Um, I never really thought about it before. I assumed it was a, a, a proper chamber entry, but it looks, at closer inspection, it looks like it might have been formed by something. I'm kind of getting the idea that maybe this was cut by the acid of the alien. Do you guys That's an interesting that idea. Or? I know that they were going to build a mine, a real shaft, a mine shaft kind of thing that he was going to lower through, and then that would open up. And the budget didn't allow that. Right. They actually had plans drawn up and were ready to go. And then they said, no, we're not going to do that. We've got some other ideas about how to how to accomplish this. Yeah. Well, there's, there's more later I was going to bring up. It's not in this minute, but of the alien using the acid as a tool. But um, talking about the gender, the, the greatest fears, uh, and, and then the, um, the sort of physiology of the ship, uh, the last few minutes that we had um, – we were talking about the appearance of the ship and then the appearance of the entryways to the ship and how those related to, I mean, it's hard to get your, to not think about the sexual implications there. And I think in this idea of invasion in this film in general. So I, I think a forceful cutting into the birth chamber probably implies the same thing. Um, I'd just never given it any thought before. I just thought it was a hole he was going down into. Yeah, but it's but certainly not. A, it doesn't look like a manufactured hole or not anything. At all. It's, 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 ne- it's messy. Well, and it looks like a vertebra, right? Like when he's walking down the sort of middle passage, it really um, sort of looks like a, a very big, right? Like the sort of scale of humanity is something the film is obsessed with. But that idea of the vertebrae being the kind of entry point, I think, is pretty clear in the design. Yeah, and Giger kept referring to this whole design as his chest design. So you have those sort of rib cages that seem to be sort of spreading out. That It's a big chest. Yeah, I mean, when they, that mat shot is unbelievable. We'll yeah. get there in a minute. But um, Ripley's been running the, um, the, the message through the computer, and she seems to have come up with something here. Um, it looks as though it's not the SOS they assumed it was. And it seems like this is, you know, we're assuming, Caitlin, that, you know, we haven't seen the movie before. Occasionally we'll step out of that for the sake of conversation. But as you're watching the movie for the first time, Mitch, when you saw it for the first time, uh, I knew an awful lot about it before I saw it because I saw Aliens first. But uh, this is the first time really that we see Ripley um, be very proactive. And it's starting to appear that she has authority on the ship, right? So she calls Ash. She tells him about this message and that it's possibly been misinterpreted by them. And Ash immediately does a little logic jujitsu to um, undermine her authority, I think. Uh, do, do you guys see it that way as well? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a real um, sort of foreshadowing and setup of this kind of opposition in the film between um, the alien and and technological, right, with Ash and and then the human and Ripley is, and the mother, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I think that we don't know yet about, you know, um, Ash's nature, but certainly we start to see it here. And just the way that the light works on him, um, his kind of the clarity to the audience that he's up to something um, and then the kind of 
increasing, you know, the increasing temperature that we have this kind of, um, you know, the line is, it's like the tropics in here, right? And so we get that kind of comparison between the two ships. Once again, Ripley faces male opposition. She faces a lot of male opposition through all the way up to this point. No one seems to have given her a break or deferred to her in any professional fashion at all, even when she wanted minutes before to run her own tests. When uh, Ash says, be my guest, it doesn't sound like a very helpful host saying that, you know? Right. But the audience is, even at this point of the film, I think on her side, and she is the kind of she is the kind of stand-in um, for the audience. And I think, you know, if a lot of film historians have talked about the nature of the kind of female character in this kind of film, and if it is a kind of slasher hybrid, which a lot of people have argued, um, then she is the, the you know, person through which we understand the story. And I think even in this moment, um, we are we are on her side just because of the way the film um, organizes that conversation. And, you know, Ash is kind of shady the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We've, there's multiple instances that we've seen already where, you know, knowing that he's an android, as we find out later, it seems pretty obvious that, or at least that he's duplicitous. He's up to something. I mean, the way he's kind of scrambles to come up with an excuse for why they shouldn't, Ripley shouldn't go out there and warn them is, it seems pretty transparent that now, but um, I wonder why she doesn't take charge here, though. Like, um do we think she's still a little lacking in confidence in her authority at this point? Is this just part of her arc within the f- text of the film that she's uh, doesn't quite have her footing as an authority figure yet? I don't. I, I'm not sure. It, it always kind of bothers me that she doesn't stick up for herself right here. But I can understand how it how it fits in the narrative. His logic. I don't have a problem. I don't know how jujitsu-y that logic is because I kind of buy the fact that okay, if you're going to suit up and run out there and and it's a it's a warning, you know. They'll 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 know. They're gonna know before you get there. I don't know. I bought mm. it. I mean, I th- I found it to be very Machiavellian and very like cold heartedly practical. But you know, why send somebody else out there if they're gonna if they're gonna get killed? Well, okay. Yeah. If you're on an alien planet and you get a warning, let's say they've decided this is a warning. Do they know how far? Do they even know they're at the ship yet? They've know they've seen the ship yet. We do. Do we know how far into the process, or does Ash know how far, or Ripley, how far into the process of exploring the ship they are? I, I don't think so. I think with those unknowns, when you get a warning, you have an alien ship, and you're getting a warning about it. I think you've got to act, even if it's possible that you might be too late. Have we like, lost the signal completely? I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah. when was the last time they've been in touch? Yeah. I don't think in the corridor. It's been a while, but Ash might be the only one that knows that actually. So. Yeah. I think there's also um, in the kind of gender dynamics of how Ash is set up as a character who um, kind of inhabits neither gender um, or both. I mean, you could think about it either way and the aliens the same way. Um, We see here kind of that he's fearful or at least fearful for Ripley to go out. And I think it sets up the sense in which he is unmasculine right because if he were like a a real man in the world of the action movie he would obviously like storm out and try and save everyone and so it sets him up um, it sort of puts a question mark by the nature of his gender in the context of the genre and so I think it's kind of a again another way of foreshadowing the fact that he is um, implicitly and explicitly um, not really a human but also on the side of the alien because of his gender 
relationship. Just not man enough to go out there. Right, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, and if you're, you know, in in the movies, if you're not a man, then you're a girl. And that is, like, deeply suspicious and upsetting um, because, <laughs> you know, this is a, a movie that it's, it is... If the greatest fear of the American cinema is miscegenation by rape, which we could argue it is, this movie is even worse because it's a man who gets raped. That's true. That's very true. All right. Do either of you have anything more for this minute? I think that's it for me. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you can find us at AlienMinute.com or follow us at AlienMinutePod on Twitter. We're also on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. And uh, make sure to visit our mothership uh, podcast, The Star Wars Minute, at StarWarsMinute.com, or follow them on iTunes. Oh, follow us on iTunes, too, and subscribe to us there. Leave us a review if you like what we're doing. Yeah, we like reviews. It's good. Okay, well, that's it for the Minute 31. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 32.